Hey guys, thanks for taking the drive down State Street. In today's episode, we cover Rule 3 in So Good They Can't Ignore You by Cal Newport. Ladies and gentlemen, hey guys, uh, welcome to State Street. This is the co-host, The Voice, Nick Leitch, and with me, Per usual, on a uh, a little bit earlier time on Sunday, Mr. Cole Szczynski. Uh, how you doing, buddy? I'm good, Nick. It's uh, it's good to talk to you. It's good to um, reconvene after uh, a week that um, has been busy and it's been full of not only work but personal life endeavors and fun, good, bad, indifferent, all the all the same, productive, not productive. Um, but that's we we ride those waves and highs and lows of life and uh we enjoy it much like we talk about there's a lot i i love doing this just because there's so much that we talk about before we even start recording that people never hear they they'll never know what we say or talk about um so it's always fun to just like get this part going and because we've already talked for shoot almost an hour now and um we uh good conversation back and forth obviously great topic today in rule three um, and so good they can't ignore you. But, uh, but and as far as personal life, just had a had a really nice day. Being that it is, we're recording this on Sunday. Had a really awesome day on Saturday. Got together with some very good friends. Uh, soaked up some much needed sun, some beach time, um, which can never be. You can't go wrong with a drink in your hand, your feet in the sand, and you know wading in and out of the water. So especially if there's you know animal good people around. Um, you can't, you cannot go wrong, buddy. No, you cannot. And, uh, we have, though we've been in the craziness of life for, I would say probably the last month and a half, two months. Um, it really feels like getting back in the groove of this thing. It's almost like this mental switch that I have to flip on. And thankfully enough, we uh, had enough habit building and, and momentum with all the work we've put in, you know, before yeah. we got to this point. So it feels a little bit easier to hop back on that bicycle. Um, but uh, no, it's great. And uh, yesterday, yeah, so we're finally kind of solidified in our apartment here. Uh, went shopping yesterday in Williamsburg and just that feeling of buying new clothes that you know you're confident in. I haven't I haven't had that feeling in a while, so that was super rewarding. But um, yeah, and the other thing too lately, I don't know, I've just been following The Rock, Dwayne Johnson a lot on Instagram and like I, I have his energy drinks now. I bought some some apparel from him as well too. I don't know why he's vibing with me so much or me to him, but he's just such a fun guy to to watch. Yeah, he... Uh... I'm actually, it's funny you say that I'm wearing, like, as we're recording this, I'm wearing a shirt that's like his brand this shirt. I, people can't see this obviously, but I've got like the, the bowl or whatever it is, the horns that he has as his logo. I'm, I'm wearing one of those shirts right now. Um, but Nick really quick. I mean, before we dive into the book, um, we had a pretty big event happen this last Thursday that was, I don't know about you. We actually haven't even talked about this before we started recording. Um, but, uh, and I, I don't want to spend too much time on it cause we're not a, a sports based podcast or anything like that, but being that it is something that's near and dear to our hearts, the field of dreams game happened, uh, this last Thursday. I don't know if you watched, I don't know if you followed along. I saw a couple of like your tweets and maybe some stuff on LinkedIn that you put about it. Um, I'll say this, I, my parents were able to go and I, I watched the broadcast. They were able to be there in person. Um, 
One, I have never been more proud to be an Iowan than watching that broadcast, watching that game, and just seeing how perfect, perfect. I mean, Kevin Costner said it on the broadcast, and my parents said it's the mo- it was the most perfect event they have ever been to, just for, in terms of people being so hospitable, how everything was laid out, how it was done. Um, obviously, it's cool, you know, with the like the parking, they had to wait that it sounded like forever just to park. And obviously when you're cramming uh, 8,000 plus people into Dyersville, Iowa, into a cornfield, I'm sure that's a, that's a tall task in terms of traffic and getting everybody in and out of there safe. But um, I don't know, dude, I, I found myself getting emotional watching like the opening of that and seeing Kevin Costner come out of the corn and seeing the players do the same right behind him. And um, just huge sense of pride, like huge, huge sense of pride. I was at work because the game started at four here. Um, and I, I found myself like just, I, 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 w- I had a coworker watching over my shoulder and I'm like, I was telling him, I'm like, I am getting so emotional because of the pride I'm feeling, the excitement, the, all these feelings of reminisce and excitement and thinking back to myself growing up and going out there and watching, you know, going to major league baseball games and everything kind of came together. It was like this perfect thing that I felt so connected with. I don't know about you. Yeah, man, a lot of uh, agreeable points there. One thing that was hard for me to mentally process was that, so for people that don't know, Dyersville, Iowa is actually 20 minutes away from Manchester where I grew up. And so I could just basically breathe in the air and the atmosphere from that event from where I was and just knowing how close it was the fact that the MLB was open to it um, a lot of people don't know but you know I was a wrestling state or notorious for that but in those small communities that are littered you know in a hundred mile radius working to the east in Iowa um, there are so many young families and kids and just such a tradition that bleeds the love of the game of baseball that when I was able to see that all come through to fruition, it was, I got goosebumps at least four or five times. And I mean, that's just because it was close by. That doesn't even take in the whole field of dreams effect for baseball, which like was the icing on the cake or even more a double stacked cake for a terrible analogy. Um, But that was so amazing. And honestly, they probably, the way the game ended, they probably script that to happen. I don't know if that's possible or not, but I mean, how could you, how could you possibly write that up? Yeah, you can't you can't script a better ending than what you had. I mean, it it was funny because I'm you know openly I'm a Yankee fan. I'm not all about it. I'm not diehard. I'm not you know anything crazy like that as I am some some other teams that I'm a fan of. Um, and so it was kind of funny that my parents were the ones that got to go, and baseball being such a big part of their life, my childhood, my my brother and sisters growing up, like we were always at the baseball park, and um, it was just. And knowing, I mean, obviously see, having seen the movie and it being one of, you know, my favorite movies probably of all time, um, it was cool. I, I was totally okay with the fact that the Yankees lost. I Like, putting personal team fandom aside, it was like the movie all about being all about, you know, the, the shoeless Joe Jackson and the White Sox and that team and if you build it, he will come type stuff, being that we think it's about Chulis Joe Jackson, really it's about his dad and connecting with his with connecting back with his father. And it was cool to hear the on the broadcast they talk so much about that. It's like it's not some I mean, it is a baseball movie, but it's about how a son connects with his dad. And mm. such something so, so cool. And part of like what stirred up the emotion in me, just because it made me think back on on all that stuff. And um, I'm even getting emotional now a little bit. But um 
just so cool, dude. And so, um, so yeah, so un- unbelievably proud of how like it all came together and, and how the, how it ended. You literally couldn't script it better. I mean, a walk-off home run for the white Sox. That's <laughs> pretty freaking cool. Yeah, no, it was, it was awesome top to bottom. Um, so we actually had made a social media post about this, um, but I'm going to share it with you, Cole, just because I don't think we had like formally answered it, but uh, is it, do you play a game of catch or do you have a catch? I know that was like a super like fun, controversial thing. Cause they say it uh, in the movie as well too. So I just, I don't know what your two senses on, on that controversy back and forth. Well, I think honestly it could be both. I think I think as a, as a child, like when you are playing the game of baseball, right, before you've hung up the cleats, you play catch because it's like who, you know, when you're at practice, like, or you're, it, you're warming up before a game, it's like, who am I playing catch with? After you hang up the cleats, I think it's when you have a catch. And mm. that's, that's more time to, like I've said already, reminisce. It's time to reflect. It's time to, it, it's interesting. Joe Buck was one of those announcers and, um, no matter per people's personal feelings on Joe Buck and, and if he's good or not or whatever, um, put all that aside. It was interesting to hear him say, and I totally agree with this. I couldn't agree more actually playing or having a catch with someone or playing catch, whichever you believe it is, whichever you're doing, actually, if, if it can be both. In fact, it's one thing that's very, or it's one of very few things that you can do and not say a word. And it's like, and have such a connection with someone. Like you can, you can have a catch, you can play catch with someone and not say a word for an hour. And you still have such a connection, whether it's between you and your father or you and your mother, you and your grandpa, your grandma, your best friend, your brother, your sister, no matter who it is. Like it's just having a catch or playing catch with someone is something that's so cool because you literally, you you don't, you don't have to have a stimulant. You don't have to be stimulated in any way. It's just, you're throwing a ball back and forth. There really doesn't have, there doesn't need, there, there's no need for anything to be said. Yeah. And that even resonates with people that haven't really even played ball before they can know what that symbolizes and how you can smell the leather on the glove, the ball, smell the temperature outside. And just like, like you said, I've never heard it put like that, but just kind of like, you just have this connection going back and forth and you don't have that so much with throwing, you know, the pigskin around a little bit or uh, tossing a frisbee or what other ever sports are out there. But yeah, when they uh, were saying it, I was listening to a couple of uh, radio uh, show hosts and they said, well, if you're playing something, there needs to be a winner or a loser. So playing catch would not be the correct terminology. Whereas having a catch uh, neutralizes the experience, which I thought that had a little bit of merit to it, but nonetheless, I mean, it's, it would be so hard for me to change my vocabulary to say like, have a catch. And, uh, Cole, I think your explanation of it was actually pretty solid as far as like when you're in the game, you know, you're in playing, you're playing catch, but post that you want to have a catch cause you're not having catches too regularly, you know, maybe right. four or five times a year. <laughs> right. Exactly. I couldn't agree more. Well, that is fun. It's fun to catch up. It's fun to talk about that stuff because it's probably once in a lifetime or if they do make it a more annual thing, that would be great too. But uh, now that we have a little bit of uh, warm, warmed up vocal cords, we can dive into rule three of so good. They can't ignore you. And I know we've said this many times, but this book was really, really rock solid in terms of career guidance, clarity what to do, what not to do. And we're actually going to get into some of that stuff today. Uh, And I know we've talked about it in the past of, okay, if you're not following your passion, what do you need to do? How do you develop career equity? 
Um, and so specifically today, rule three is going to really hammer on the fact of uh, the importance of control, which is an element of how you actually develop passion for what you do. So uh, Cole, as far as the very first case study story and where chapter eight begins, go ahead and lead us or just share some initial thoughts on where we're going. Well, I think my initial thought, Nick, um, is uh, the rule itself, what it's what the, the name of the rule itself. It's literally uh, rule number three, turn down a promotion. And it says in, you know, in quotations or, you know, the importance of control. And it's like, turn down a promotion. I mean, I don't know about you, Nick, but me being someone who's young in my career, um, probably very. I, I get I get ahead of myself a lot more than I should, um, and I'm eager for okay. What's next? What am I striving for next? When when's that next step? When do I get to take that next step? When do I get a pay increase? When do I get a promotion? When do I get the new title? All of those things that uh, a twenty a uh, uh, a probably dumb um, a little over eager or over over year old like those thoughts that creep into my brain um, when really I mean you just enjoy the ride, but that's a different conversation. Uh, you think about those things and it's so when you hit when you read a book and the title is turned down a promotion instantly my brain is like what why why would you ever do that um but as we read and as you read this case study um kind of about the dream job elix elixir which um cal newport says he argues that control over what you do and how you do it is one of the most powerful traits you can acquire when creating the work you love um it's just, it's an interesting thought because it's like, who would think to turn down a promotion? Who would think to, um, to, to say no to an offer, uh, uh, to take more money, to have more responsibility, to, to, to climb that, to continue climbing that ladder that, that everybody, you know, is, is so desperately trying to get to the top of. Um, and it is true though. And you don't realize, you know, I've kind of started to realize in my own personal job, and this is just me getting away from the book a little bit. Um, the autonomy, you know, we talk about autonomy and how important that is in having a job that you love, being able to control what happens on a day-to-day -day basis, feel as though you are in control of what you're doing day-to-day, -day, how you go about it, knowing that you're doing it well, that you're able to work hard at it and enjoy working hard at it, right? All of these things, um, having control over all of that, um, when you're just looking for the next promotion for the next step for the next raise for the next title for the new responsibility you lose that autonomy because that's what you get so wrapped up in rather than getting so good at what you're doing and continuing to go back break it down refine it continue to to figure out what your weak spots are what your strengths are learn to play to those strengths learn how to to navigate around the weaknesses you have or turn them into strengths, right? We're always going to have those those weaknesses. Um, but when it's when you turn it from when, when you turn down a promotion and it's not just get to the next step, get to the next step, get to the next step, it's you're you're then valuing what control really means and the autonomy that you need to have in order to really love what you do. Yeah, I think you really amplified uh, the point uh, on the back end there as far as what is the definition of control? What does that actually mean in a in a profession or in a career that you love? And 
Uh, I think Cal does a nice job of eliminating or at least providing the contradictory opinion towards why scaling up in your career too quickly can actually lead to more burnout and overwhelm because you're asked to have a lot more abilities in the trade-off for, okay, well, I've gotten, you know, four, you know, let's say two or three promotions in the last five years. You know, I'm on my way to the, the corporate American pursuit. And he says, hey, hey, hold on real quick here. Let's understand what control actually means. And for those that have it, they know exactly what, what we're referring to. When you really can control who you work with, how you work with them, when expectations are met on both parties, and really just that trust. I think trust is a big thing uh, that can be a synonym of autonomy because you don't really gain autonomous you know, activity or uh, being able to have that enabled until you have that trust built up. So um, one thing that stood out to me, Cole, when I was reading this is the case study. I'm not going to go too far into it, but we've referred to a couple characters early on that have been in a career and they want to jump ship to a different endeavor or quote unquote their passion. Now, the problem with that, Cal says, is that when they make that jump, they don't have any equity in that other field of study. So that jump over is a very vast and they may not totally have all that credibility built to jump in. Well, this case study in the dream uh, elixir portion is someone who did that really, really smartly. And so this couple basically over time did their corporate jobs, gained enough knowledge and expertise into something that they wanted to start. And then slowly over time, they did make that transition. But one thing um, to the highlight is, or what I highlighted is the idea of Ryan and Sarah and their what their lifestyle represents was enough to draw the attention of all these people that want their lifestyle. And I think that's important because we see so many things that we want to replicate ourselves. And I think that's totally healthy to do, but we're always respecting the small business owner that kind of does whatever they want to do or the people that go after their pursuit in that light. So I'm not sure if that like idea of replication or the what the lifestyle of control means to you, but as I'm kind of speaking this out to you, Cole, any thoughts on that or how do you keep the conversation going? Well, yeah, when we're reading the... um like the, the case study on it, it, Red Fire Farm is what the case study is about. It's called Red Fire Farm. There's the this gentleman, Ryan, who, Nick, you're exactly right. Like he didn't just decide one day, I'm going to start a farm. Like I'm just going to, I'm just going to get into farming and I'm going to start it and I'm going to do it. He, I mean, him and his wife both took the time to acquire this career capital that we've talked about, you know, in the last two episodes um, in terms of, you know, he graduated with an Ivy League degree. and What's the common, you know, the common thought would be you graduate with an Ivy League degree, you go work for a Morgan Stanley, you go work for a JP Morgan Chase, you go work for a, for, for a big financial institution or go work, go work at a really nice law firm, get a law degree or, or do what else. You don't think, you know, oh, we're just going to go farm. Well, um, kind of, kind of a really cool example of how you take such career capital and you put in a lot of work. And then doing something that is completely against the grain um, because, yes, you, you graduate with an Ivy League degree, you have your corporate jobs, that you, you, know, you do that, you learn how to work as a professional. You learn all these different things about what it takes to run a business, what it takes to start a business, what it takes to get it up and running and sustain it so that it can kind of become its own thing and become a, a, a true working business um, that then you kind of make your own and shape and continue to try to grow and tweak and experiment with obviously to make it as, as successful as it can. Um, it was so interesting to, to read about how 
they they absolutely uh what was it ryan and sarah are is the couple that started this red fire farm they have such career capital they have put in so much time they have invested in themselves in their careers so much that it's to a point where they have this farm that supposedly and and i really haven't done much research on what red fire farm is and and all of that um but they i mean they essentially control their lives they have total control over this farm over these over their lives professionally over their lives personally um and that's all well and great but it shouldn't it should be noted that that's not you're not you're not just getting to that you don't just wake up one day and have that control have that autonomy that is built and that is that is accumulated over time with a lot of preparation with a lot of hard work with a lot of research with a lot of studying um and and it can't be done without gaining a lot of knowledge from a lot of different areas not just your educational background not just your professional career and your experience not just your personal life and what you've gone through and what you've learned through different situations or the books you've read or podcasts listen to whatever like it's a, a accumulation of all these things taking it all into account and then saying okay we can start this we have the career capital we have the actual financial or monetary capital to start all this um and then um, you know, one thing that I, I highlighted kind of at the, the back end to kind of boil it down, I guess, and I should have started with this, but you have to get good before you can expect good work, right? So it's not just, you don't just get to come out of college or decide, I'm not going to go to college, I'm going to get into farming and expect to be great at it right away. There's so much that goes into it. It is a business, right? In, in terms of just a farm, you know, example. We don't think of it that way. A lot of us Midwesterners, we take pride in, in our farm, and especially with us talking about Field of Dreams game, it was out in a it was out in a cornfield. Like for heck. Well, that is a business. Like that is a true business. People don't see it. It's not in a high-rise building in downtown New York, but it is a business, right? Like there's there's a lot that goes into it. And so you gotta get good. You have to get good before you can expect good work. I think that's so important. Um, just because it's not like we always say, it, there's no there is no overnight success. There is so much work behind the scenes that goes into Red Fire Farm, that goes into building a career that you love and finding your dream job or creating your dream job, Nick. Yeah, and a really good timeline to interject here is that they gained control over a 10-year period of time, roughly. So it wasn't as if they did jump directly into it, Cole, to your point, um, and just like have that overnight success. I'm going to read this small portion from the book to summarize this, and then we'll continue the, the importance of control. Um, so he didn't just decide one day he was passionate about produce and then courageously head off into the countryside to start farming. Instead, by the time he had made the plunge into full-time farming in 2001, when he had bought his first chunk of land uh, and then painstakingly required relevant career capital uh, to close to a decade. So this might have been less sexy than the daydream of quitting your job one day and then waking up to the rooster crows, uh, but essentially over time, chipping away, building those stepping stones to then finally getting that full control. So I think that's a really nice job of just driving the nail in the coffin in terms of perspective, um, because I think it is good to kind of think on what you would futuristically want to have uh, in, your, in your career, whether you're pursuing that now or down the road. 
take some time, take some real good strategy involved. Um, so Cole, I'm actually going to turn a little bit of the conversation to a warning or a, a trap, if you will. And Cal introduces this in the next chapter. Uh, we might jump around a little bit between this stuff, guys, mm-hmm. just as a heads up. But I think this is important to note that there is a very fine line between trying to gain control when you don't necessarily have the capital that it offers to do that. So that essentially translates to me is if you're going in too soon to your promotion, there might be harm in actually doing that move itself. So Cole, if you could elaborate a little bit on that, I'd love to just dive in on that first uh, trap piece. State Street residents, do not skip over this. Listen, guys, if you've been following along since the first episode we put out, uh, you know how supportive, how proud, uh, and how amazed we are by Chi-Town Blankets and the work that they are doing um, in the city of Chicago, Illinois, and beyond, even stretching into Houston, Texas most recently. You guys, uh, if you again, if you follow along, you know how proud we are. You know how to donate. You know how to get involved. You know how to find the newsletter. Get subscribed to that so you're staying up to date. Uh, so here, here's all I'm asking you guys. Uh, if you've been following along, you know about all about this stuff. You hear about it every week. Tell a friend. Your work is done. Uh, that's all you got to do. Tell a friend. Get them in the know and, and tell them how they can help. Your work is done from there. That's all I can ask. Uh, and you then can skip through this. Uh, if you are listening to this for the first time, go to the website www.shytownblankets.com. You can donate monetarily by donating blankets themselves. They have an online store that you can pick out blankets that maybe mean something to you, that have a special color, your favorite color, a certain pattern, maybe a certain logo. Uh, It's all through Amazon and it's set up on their website perfectly. Um, And then subscribe to that newsletter. Like I mentioned, get involved, know what's happening. Get uh, get in the know and and stay up to date on all the great things that they're doing, like a thousand dollar or a thousand blanket, excuse me, donation that they received recently. Um, and all the growth potential and the growth happenings for Chi-Town Blankets. We love Jack, we love Dom, uh, and all the folks over there are doing amazing work. So get involved, help the people of Chicago, Illinois, who are in most need, uh, and let's spread that throughout the United States. Yeah, well, the first control trap, I mean, Cal Newport lays it out for us. It says, control that's acquired without career capital is not sustainable, right? So, I mean, what is control if it's not going to be sustained, right? It, you you have control for a little bit, but if you can't handle it, if you're not ready for it, if you're not ready for, if you're not adequate, if you're not adequately prepared for the control for the autonomy that you desire, then what good is it if you have it for a little bit, get that instant gratification, and it goes away? I mean, we could we could go on and on talking about how instant gratification is so prevalent, and maybe we do that a little too much, but um. Yeah, dude, it, you have to, and, and it goes on to say this right, right after laying out the first control trap, you must first generate this capital, career capital, by becoming good at something rare and valuable. Um, then invest in it the traits that, make, that help make work great. Um, and so, I mean, the, the key there is you got to get good at something rare and valuable. I mean, and that, I mean, it, it sounds, like, well, what, what would that be? Like, how do I possess that? I don't, I don't possess anything rare and valuable. Well, you do. You have to be the, what's rare and valuable is getting so good at something that is needed, right? If you can get so good at one thing 
that people will pay you a lot of money to do, right? Whether it be farming, whether it be graphic design, whether it be social media posts, whether it be laying brick or, or doing construction, if you can get so good you know, driving a lull that, you know, at a construction site, you're, you're going to make a lot of money because people are going to trust you and you're going to have, they're going to give you the, the autonomy and the control in order to do your job and have full respect, but also full confidence that you're going to do a great job because it is a rare and valuable skill to become good at something so, so niche. And that can literally be anything. So it's, it's completely uncapped. Yeah, and I think uh, an important thing to note here, if you're thinking and listening along with us uh, talk about this is, do you think to yourself, okay, do I have enough career capital? Do I have enough career equity? When do I make that transition to try to gain more control? Uh, Cal says it very bluntly. He goes, it's really hard to convince people to give you money. So if you're having to feel that you're the one can doing a lot of that convincing, then you probably have not established the rare and valuable skill set that they're going to pay for uh, being so good that they cannot ignore you. So that's a, a good mental note of like, okay, getting vertical is appropriate throughout your career, but doing it too quickly might lead to people like looking at you like, okay, does he just want to get to the top or, or, or not? And if he does, does he realize like, hey, you actually have to build up some foundational layers before, before you can get there, you know, uh, which I think that's totally relevant for me and you and our age, Cole, is that we're always looking for the person that's like, oh my gosh, they're already at like a management level in their career. They're 28 and they're just kicking ass. It's like, oh, I feel like I need to be there. Well, it's like, well, maybe, but maybe not at the same time. Maybe we do need to just allow mother time to go through so we can develop some of these habits, develop some of these skills as we're uh, continuing on the path. So this to me was a little bit of a humbler where it was like, okay, kind of check your ego a little bit and say, hey, we're maybe not as equipped as we think that we are. And the reason we can counter that, or we, I can say that confidently is I'm not getting paid at the level because I'm not providing that value to the marketplace. Now, over time, I'm hoping that switches over where I can provide that value to the marketplace and get a lot more compensation for my efforts. But that was just a wonderful, humbling note of this where saying like, hey, don't be too quick to the trigger. There is pain and, and danger in doing that as well. Well, and that's why it's important. Like you, you never stop working. You never stop it trying to improve, right? You never stop striving for better because that's how you get to the rare and valuable. I mean, there's, I mean, everybody can be average. Anyone can be average at whatever it is they're doing. You know, the ones who are rare and valuable, that's why, you know, professional athletes, that's why they make so much money because they, they got good at something that is very rare and very valuable. Um, that's why CEOs make a lot of money. That's why actors and actresses make a lot of money. That's why some performers make a lot of money. They've never stopped, you know, trying, refining, experimenting, tweaking, and they figure you, that's, that's the formula for figuring out how to get to that rare and valuable echelon and break through just kind of the average to good to a little above average, um, kind of ceiling that a lot of people are, are very comfortable living in. Um, and I, I want to throw it back just a little bit, Nick, because I think you're exactly right. And I think it's perfectly said that this control trap is a little bit of a humbler, this first one. Um, I'm going to throw two words out at you and we we've covered them both a little bit, but, um, Power and control, right? P 
power and control. Two things that everybody loves. Who doesn't love power and who doesn't love control, right? We've already talked about control enough, so I won't harp on that. Um, but there is power in control, right? And in the book, it says, you know, there, there's an exact quote, decades of scientific research have identified power, the power of control, that trait as one of the most important you can pursue in the quest for a happier, more successful, and more meaningful life. The book goes on to say, giving people more control over what they do and how they do it increases their happiness, engagement, and sense of fulfillment. Who doesn't want that, right? We all want right. that. That's what we are all striving for now. And, that, and that's, you know, the words power and control, they are sexy words, man. They look good on paper. Like when you say I have the power, when you say I'm in control, it feels good. Like it's a sense, there's a sense of pride or personal, like personal goodness that, that goes along with that. That is why we need these control traps. That's why we need to understand what these control traps are because it's easy to fall into it. It's easy just to to be blinded by, oh, I got to get, I got to get control. I got to gain that power. I, I have to get the power. I have to get the control. Um, and if you're not ready for it, if you're not adequately preparing for it, um, you know, it, it, it goes to like the old adage of like prepare for rain. And, and it's like, you know, a farmer, a farmer can't just wait for rain to happen. You have to prepare for rain. Like you have to be ready so that when that rain comes, you can take full advantage of it. When that, when that power, when that control does come because you have put in the work and you have made yourself ready and available to it, that's when you're gonna, that's when you're gonna benefit the most. That's when it is gonna become sustainable. So, um, and that's also it facing the giants. I was trying to think through that as I was, um, I was talking about that. If anybody hasn't watched that movie, Facing the Giants, it is a, it is a faith-based movie. So if you're not about that, I understand. I'm not gonna push faith on anybody, but um, if you're okay with it, if you're willing to watch it, Facing the Giants, it is a football movie. Prepare for rain. Like you can't just sit back and wait and expect that that rare and valuable skill to come to you. You can't just expect the power and control that you desire to make your professional life, your personal life more fulfilled, be more engaged, um, and, and to be more happy. You have to prepare for that. So when then it does come, you're available, you're ready for that, and you can take full advantage. Um, but again, that's why I go back to that. And I go back to Nick, what you said, we need to understand these traps that it's easy to fall into. And that's why it is good to have those as kind of a humbling um, reminder is like, hey, this is for this is good. This is what we want, but let's not get a let's not get too ahead of ourselves before we're ready. Yeah, and to kind of to put together the two pieces that you're speaking on here, Cole, is you're when you're grinding, you're then focusing on capital, equity, and acquisition. So that never stops. You're always in pursuit of getting more equity and more skill development and all that stuff. The other side of it is patiently, but being very, very prepared for when that opportunity does strike. So the constant grind is more so to what you're acquiring, whereas the the time and patience is for when those those opportunities do come up. Um, just for the, the sake of time on this specific episode, I do want to get to the second half here. So we've talked about the, I don't know if they're negatives per se, but the, the opposite more correctly shaped uh, trap for control is that the the pro side of it. So there's a a, a lady. Uh, her name is Lulu. 
Uh, she is introduced to us and she does a very, very good job of acquiring this career capital. Uh, she was careful to ensure she always had enough of this capital to back up before she made these bids for more control. So this is someone who identified that not only, okay, do I have what what kind of a, a capital do I need to invest in? And she goes out and does that. But then also she positions herself in a way that says, okay, now I can kind of play by my own terms because the people that are hiring her are finding her skills rare and valuable. So therefore they will pay for it uh, as well too. So she was able to uh, basically strategically hop from a job to a job while maintaining a lot of or complete control of what she does uh, as far as the projects she works on. I remember one specific um, indication here, Cole, where she was able to get a project where she actually took like two or three months off, like whenever she wanted to, she could just leave knowing that the projects were complete and she was going to get paid. So that's the level of control we're speaking on here. Uh, it can get to that point depending on how you want to structure it. Uh, but the second control trap, if you will, um, and it's not necessarily a control trap, I would say. I like how he uh, writes it out in on page 127. Control generates resistance. So for the common person, we'll say the one that is the nine to five, they don't like when people don't also have that same structure in their work life. That kind of subconsciously bothers them like, hey, how is how is Chris or how is Lulu able to work hard for two months and then take two months off when I have to report in nine to five. So that's the other side of it is as you begin to do this personally, there may actually be some resistance from your current boss or the company that you work for. Well, Nick, I was going to say, I mean, in the, even in the, the header at the beginning of chapter 10, where we get introduced to the second control trap, they literally say, and it is kind of, it, this one's, I mean, not so much a humbler, but like a smack in the face. And it's like, oh shit, I never even thought of it like this. Once you have enough, and I'm reading from the book when I say this, once you have enough career capital to acquire more control in your working life, you have become valuable enough to your employer that they will fight your efforts to gain more autonomy. So you, I mean, it's kind of a, a, a weird paradox or a weird paradigm we find ourselves in because... Yes, you're working for your employer, right? You want to do good work. You want to get good at what you're doing. You want to be able to feel like, hey, I can go in. My boss has to, doesn't have to look over my shoulder because I know I'm going to get good work done. I know how to do it. I'm doing. I know how to do it right. Um, and you can do it to the best of your ability. You want to get to that point. But, and, and, and not to say that your employer doesn't. I think your employer, no matter if it's a boss, uh, a, a separate coworker, um, someone who works below you even, they want to see you get to that point. But there does come a point where you do get so good and you have become so valuable to whoever it is you're working for that in the back of their mind, you know, not to, not to speak for, you know, employers or bosses, but I mean, it, it, this is true. And it, I haven't had a no shit moment. It's like, you get so good that you really don't need your boss. You can like, you can do, and, and yes, they've been help. They've been a help They've been a helping hand. They've been probably a very willing and open leader to giving you constructive criticism, but also giving you praise when you do good and and um, lending a helping hand with answers or or um, breaking things down when necessary. When as you're getting to the point of being valuable, it's uh, but you get to that point. Maybe it's maybe it's maybe it's a year after as you as you get a few years into whatever job you're doing. It's like they realize 
how good you are, how valuable you are as an employer. Maybe you're a great salesperson. You generate a lot of money and you are starting to gain a lot of that autonomy. You're getting a lot of control because you know what you do. You, you're good at what you do. Um, and you're, you're obviously your employer sees that and they appreciate that you put in hard work, that you make a lot of money, especially being in a sales role. Um, but it's like, well, shoot, if he gets too good at this. He, he's going to leave us for a better opportunity or he's going to leave us and start doing the same thing on his own, on her own. And it's like, that's where Nick, you bring up like the resistance. And it's like, there may be a little bit of fight or a little bit of resistance to, oh, hey, maybe like you, you, you need to slow down a little bit or they need to rein you back in. And, and so that's kind of what we as, as individuals and being these people that, okay, we're trying to gain control. We're trying without, without falling into these control traps, we're trying to gain that control, accumulate that career capital. Um, and it, we need to understand it's like, oh, okay. I have become valuable enough. I've become good enough at, get, at this. I'm getting to a point where they see how valuable I am and they're going to want to res- restrain me a little bit. I mean, it's kind of a harsh word, but um, it's, it, that, I mean, that's what it is a little bit. They'll, they'll try to hold back a little bit so that you don't um, get to a level of, and, and it's, whether it's right or wrong, I think it's objective. I think it's natural. I think that's what happens in the workplace. It's like, employers want good workers to stick around, right? Good workers want to get to a point where one, they can make more money or two, get to a point where they have enough career capital to go, go out on their own. Um, and so it is, the second control trap is kind of a weird paradox we find ourselves in, but it's also something that people should be aware of, especially after year one, year two of kind of getting into a new role, you're finding your way and, and hopefully becoming very good at what you do. Yeah, I think this specific section, what stood out to me is identifying that all positions that you really are in, depending on wiring, of course, should be temporary to some extent. Your employer uh, from a high level is probably seeing of the 10 salesmen he brings in and saleswomen, uh, you know, two of those people are going to become the cream of the crop and they're eventually going to become a manager themselves of other people. And so uh, being aware that there is that natural progression in that if, if you've been in a role for long, long enough, uh, maybe this is the time to begin to start to push for a little bit more control or whatever hits on the, the career uh, you know, wheel of benefits and and how you handle things. Um, but yeah, to me, that was like, okay, this should be a natural progression for me over time to eventually begin to level up into certain like tiers or categories, uh, with the respect. Now, some people are going to outgrow their, their current boss. That's just how it works. Uh, but some people also are going to, um, like have it to where, Hey, your boss is the one that's going to push you forward as well too. They understand your employment with them is only temporary and they want to be, they want to create you as a leader to go ahead and create more leaders as well too. So, uh, one thing I'll, I'll read from the book here. Um, the key it seems is to know when the right time is to be courageous in your career decisions, getting this timing, right. And and a fantastic work life awaits you, but get it wrong by tripping the first control trap in a premature bid for autonomy and disaster lurks. So there is this wonderful magic balance of, again, taking time to develop career equity, but then also saying, hey, 
I've done this. This is my proven track record. Uh, and then moving forward to try to gain more control over what we do. So I thought Cal uh, labeled that really nicely, just noticing like it does take some courage. You know, it does take some guts to go talk to your boss and, and kind of push back and say, hey, I understand what everyone else does, but I'm not everyone else. This is who I am as a employee. So, um, but at well, the end Nick of the day, I was going to say really, really quick. You, you actually, you mentioned something that I really wanted to talk, talk on. I, I don't want to gloss over it because it's, a, it's actually, there's an exact quote, um, in the book that something you literally just said, um, as we're reading about Lulu, the software developer who is gaining a lot of career capital, um, she says in there and I highlight it, people tell me that I don't do things the way other people do. Lulu said, but I'll tell them I'm not other people. Um, not to go too off topic, but that makes me think of our friend Peyton Burnham, who we had on this podcast. I don't know, Nick, if you've ever been around someone who is such a high producer that it's like they don't do things the way that everyone else does them. They don't do things the normal way. They don't go about cold calls or gaining leads or making sales, closing deals, you know, in terms of a sales role that you and I are both in or anything else for that matter. It could be software developing, you know, type like coming up with code or it could be building a website or it could be literally like doing construction. Like people who are so good at what they do don't always do things the normal way or do them the way that everyone else does it. That's one what sets them apart, right? And like I said, uh, it, it makes me think of Peyton Burnham. When I got first got to meet Peyton Burnham, I watched from afar. Um, if you haven't listened to Peyton Burnham's episode, go listen to it. But I got to watch from afar, see how she did things and you know, she didn't, she didn't bother just making a hundred cold calls a day because, you know, that's, that's what you do. And that you, you grind and you pick up the phone and you continue to continue to knock on doors. And the more, nor, the more doors you knock on, the more yeses you'll get. It was like, I am going to spend a little bit more time getting a, getting a lead, for example, that has a higher chance of purchasing something that's more worth my time rather than just spending as little time I can trying to generate interest on somebody that may only get, may only purchase something half of the value as if I invest in researching, going after a lead that, you know, could make a big splash rather than drop in the bucket drops in the bucket. I mean, they're great. Right. But it just, all of this being said, it just made me think about that because it's like when I watched her, you know, she had a very different schedule. The meetings were different. She was, it seemed like every day she was closing deals and I'm like, man, like I want to get to a point where it's like that. And it's like, I, you know, I don't just sit at my desk and make a hundred calls and then that's it for the day, hoping that one of them leads to a sale. It's like, go about it a different way. Don't just go about it the way that you're taught by the book from day one and that that's all you do. It's, you know, part of it is being an adult, make it your own. And, and you have to get creative with that because nobody else, everybody else is going to be looking out for themselves. Everybody else is trying to make, you know, in this example. Um, so you have to get creative. And that was one thing that Peyton Burnham was so good at from what I understood. And from what I watched is she went about it a different way, but it wasn't different in a lazy way or different in a way of, I don't care. It was just, I'm going to spend my time on trying to make sales that are going to be effective and that are going to be actual, that are going to be worth my time, frankly. And it's, it's kind of harsh to say, Nick. Um, but there is, I think a little validity in it because if you can spend a little bit more time 
not necessarily making a call, but maybe doing research, trying to figure out who the best person to get in contact is for a $20,000 sale versus um, a $1,000 sale. I mean, to me, it's a no brainer. I don't know about you. Yeah, that's one thing that uh, as a individual that's got a little bit more experience underneath my belt that you want to work with people that are ready to make decisions that are in favor of where you're trending. Um, and now to Peyton's point, and I appreciate you bringing that up, uh, after you know set time, individuals uh, will kind of find their own way of making it happen if it is meant to to happen. She was a clear indicator of that, Cole. Like you said, it wasn't anything outside. It was different, but it was successful. And so that's what we're trying to really focus on is in that constant pursuit of career equity and capital is, okay, the more that I can develop in the role that I'm asked to do, the more leverage I can use to get into these more strategic, more financially sound, more control situations. And so I say that just to kind of slowly kind of bring together what we've talked about a little bit here today. So um, we are going to get to the last point here. I've really loved talking about this book though. It gets me fired up. So uh, the last uh, point is the law of financial viability. Uh, So essentially, this is when you've gotten to a point of being so good they can't ignore you that when there's a gentleman in here for another case study that they did that uh, he had multiple offers from uh, certain businesses after selling uh, his own, I believe. Um, But just knowing that money is the neutral indicator of value. Um, And so by making to, by aiming to make money, you're aiming to be valuable. So the whole point is like at a certain tier of this skill development and control, you're going to have so much coming in at you that you get to decide what you work on and who you work with. And that's kind of the ultimate it factor if you're looking to create that career and have a lot of passion towards it. Because imagine this, Cole, you know, in the beginning part, you're always fighting, like you said, to make those calls, cold calls, grind your face off to get all the way to the other side where it's like, hey, I've done this for so long that I get to choose the three to five people that I get to work with this year. And then on the onset of that, make a lot of money doing that, providing a lot of value. So there is kind of an ultimatum end goal that we want to reach towards. Um, And I think acting probably is another good industry to look at where as a young actor, you're probably just taking gigs left and right just to get your name out there. Uh, But eventually over time, like a Steve Martin uh, or a Will Smith or, you know, all these really successful guys, they begin to select what they then work on which kind of brings that whole paradigm of career, love, and passion full circle um, because they do have complete control and they're getting paid for that value and expertise that they're putting out in the marketplace. Well, and that's, Nick, where it changes. It, it does shift from I have to cast such a wide net in order to get my name out there, in order to get any sale I can, whether it's a big fish or a drop in the bucket or anywhere in between, um, to – and, and it's it's actually it's highlighted for us. It's it's in bold in this in this portion of the book, the law of financial viability. Um, do what people are willing to pay for, right? So instead of casting this wide net that hey, I'm going to take any sale I can, I'm going to take any gig I can. Especially you know, it makes me think about like kind of um, up and coming bands too. It's like you know, an up and coming band who maybe they start in the the garage, right? They're they're out of mom and dad's garage and they're just playing for fun. It's like we'll take any gig we can. Like, any, like we're, they're going to pay us $10 to play for an hour. Like we'll take it. You know, you and me, Nick, if anybody offered us to pay, to, to pay us money, which not to say that people haven't already, we'll keep that close to the vest, but, um, uh, <laughs> they, uh, 
instead of just taking any offer that comes at you, kind of like you said, you know, the, the Kevin Costners of the world, that's like the, the big, um, the more prominent people, it becomes, okay, what do I want to do that people are really going to be willing to pay for instead of just trying to get all the nickels and dimes that are out there? Leave the nickels and dimes for, you know, the folks who are just getting started, for the folks that are up and coming. And you get to make the shift. And this is where power of control, this is where that that word control really does come because you, at this point, when you're transitioning to doing what people are willing to pay for and pay hopefully a lot of money for, um, whether it be a service or a good or whatever, that is where like the lucrativeness and the true loving what you're doing comes because it's you have control of okay do i do i believe in this first and foremost do i think do i see value in this and then when it's yes okay clearly other people see value in it because they wouldn't be asking me to do it if there wasn't value to be had if there wasn't money to be made and so the fact that it's you know you you do get to make that shift and and there's no like there's no black and white or set date as to when you get to make that switch, right? It just kind of comes over time. And you have to be self-aware enough as a as an adult, as a professional to say, okay, I can start to shift my focus from grind 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 to do what people are willing to pay a lot of money for and focus on that. Don't put as much attention on just the grind, the pick up the phone 100 times a day. Focus on picking it up 30 times and get really, really quality results. Get, get in touch with those people who are providing a lot of value, whether it's in personal life experience, whether it's value outside of financial, or whether it is you know some sort of monetary compensation. Um, I, I just think that is something will be interesting for us, Nick, just, you know, kind of understanding where we're at in the stage of our lives to see when that shift happens as we move through our careers, because I'm sure in a job you're in, you know, you face that at some point, it's like, okay, I can stop grind, grind, grinding. And then I can focus on, you know, the, the bigger fish. I can focus on something that's a little bit more lucrative. And then over time, as a growing into a professional, you're not so much an entry level professional like we still technically would be. And it is more focused to, hey, I'm a seasoned veteran in this. I know what I'm doing. I'm good at it. I've accumulated that career capital. I've gotten good at something rare and valuable. Let's really focus on on, on putting our efforts into whether it be you making a lot of money or making a lot of money for whatever company you're working for. Just it'll be interesting to see those transitions, those little ones. You, you go from job to job, but also over the span of a whole career, kind of seeing that flow, that ebb and flow of drifting out of one season into another. Yeah, I, uh, I had the same thought come across my mind as I was getting this section kind of concluded was, I wonder how I can not only use this to my advantage now after reading it, but I also wonder where I can look back and say, oh, I might have been a little premature there or, oh, I did a nice job of acquiring capital there. You know, obviously hindsight's twenty twenty. So I uh, I had the same thought myself of like, okay, I wonder in five, seven years, you know, how this is all going to play out and, and whatnot. So 
Uh, and honestly, guys, that's why we're sharing it with you. Or we're, though we're personally interested in reading the book, that's why we're sharing it with the residents here. So, Cole, I do have like kind of one like final like icing on the cake quote and or thought. Uh, are you good to go on your end and can plug social? Yep. So before you do that, I, I'll just plug social because I'm I'm talked out. I I got everything in I wanted to say. So um, obviously subscribe to the podcast, rate it five stars, leave us a comment. Um, turn on, you know, the notifications. So you're getting, I, I actually had someone, Nick, tell me that they have our notifications on. So they actually get notified when our episodes drop and they realize, or, or, or they're, they, yeah, they get, they get notified, um, that, Hey, state street's got a new episode out. So, um, some people are getting on that hype train. We love to hear that. We love to hear the, the positive feedback. We also love to hear the negative feedback. We want to know what we're doing good and bad. Um, so do all those things, subscribe, rate it five stars, comments, both good and bad. Send us a direct message on any of our social media platforms, uh, Facebook, State Street Podcast, Twitter, State Street Pod, and Instagram, I think our best uh, our best social media platform by far, um, State Street Pod as well. Just be continuously looking out for stuff coming out, um, doing, a, doing a lot of cool things, going to be having a lot of cool people on. We're going to be reading more good books as, uh, as we get into the back half of 2021 and um, prepare for, for a new year. Yeah, it's uh, it's so cool and so scary the fact that it's already uh, mid-August <laughs> of 2021. But uh, the last thing, uh, advice, tip, uh, principle that I wanted to share with you guys today, and it's at the very end of this uh, whole section. It says, unless people are willing to pay you, it is not a good idea. Or, or excuse me, let me back up here. <laughs> unless people are willing to pay you, it's not an idea you're ready to go after. Meaning. There needs to be a financial need or contract or bids coming in for you to really sense that you do have that control and that you can consistently put that output out as you're creating, you know, whether that's the next step in your career or that new endeavor. So thank you guys so much for tuning in to this episode. And until next time, guys. 